You are listening to Studying Pixels, a podcast on game studies and video game culture. I'm Stefan Heinrich Simond, a game study scholar from Germany. I'm Dan Hughes, a Japanese scholar from Texas. And you can find us every Sunday on studyingpixels.com and wherever you get your podcasts. Dear listeners out there, we want to be honest with you. This is a pre-recorded timeout episode because, you know, sometimes it just happens when you do a weekly podcast. Sometimes you might not have the time because you're just super busy with other things. Or sometimes we might get ill and we might have to take a an involuntary break. Of course, we always want to do our show on a weekly basis whenever we can, but it's not always possible. That's why we decided to go ahead and pre-record an episode that we could air in such a case. That also means that we actually have no clue what's currently going on because this is probably going to be aired months after we actually record it. So if the world is in flames, which is not entirely unlikely, then we <laughs> don't know. <laughs> we have no idea. Yes, we're living in blissful ignorance of, I'm going to say, the, I don't know, uh, robot invasion that is likely happening right now. Something like probably. that. Yeah. yeah, probably. <laughs> and if if this is happening, then it might even be that you particularly enjoy this episode because we decided to retreat into nostalgic memories of our childhood, video game memories of our childhood. Before we get into that, though, I want to briefly mention that this is obviously a free and independent podcast. We do rely entirely on your support, and that is why we offer you Studying Pixels Plus. This is essentially our Patreon program, and if you support us, you get three wonderful things at once. You get our sincere gratitude and the feeling of it's a good feeling of supporting an independent show. You get a lovely sticker that says, I am studying pixels and features our particularly cute mascot, Pixelcoon. And you get a monthly plus episode. Sometimes they go into deep dives on video game culture subjects. Sometimes it's a little bit more academic. Other times it actually just helps you study. So there's a wide range of things we cover in these monthly plus episodes. And if you are curious about that, then you can get Studying Pixels Plus by going to studyingpixels.com slash plus. Find out more. And I should say, I should say that since this is going out into the future, uh, that you may just be the lucky millionth patron that joins us. Yes. So <laughs> please, for those of you on, on the fence about joining the most popular video game podcast in the world and in history, really, uh, please sign up for studying pixels plus and if we have reached that goal then we probably are doing this as our main profession right now <laughs> I, would <laughs> I would hope so <laughs> oh that would be so good that would mm. make, help us make ah. the dream a reality my friends what a dream hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Dan. Let's dive into the main story, our yes. childhood gaming memories. I'm curious, what is your very first conscious video game memory? So it's a very precious one to me. And uh, when I was very young, um, first ever gaming console was a Game Boy Color. And that uh, was right around the time when uh, Pokemon was... All the Rage, this was maybe 96, 97, thereabouts. 
And um, I wanted Pokemon so badly. It was the only thing I could think about uh, in my little kid brain. And so when Christmas came around, um, that's all I asked for was just a Game Boy Color and one of the Pokemon games. I didn't care which one. So uh, Christmas morning comes around and I run out to the living room. I'm there with my mom and dad. And there's a few presents under the tree. And I open one and I, I remember my mom kind of like stopping me. Um, and the reason was because I had opened Pokemon first. So I opened mm. the game and maybe, I don't know, a kid might be disappointed if, if that were the case. Uh, but to me, it was confirmation that the next thing I was going to open was the Game Boy. And it was. And I just remember for weeks after that, um, playing that game and I, I didn't know how to save. So I would leave my Game Boy on <laughs> because I didn't, I didn't want my Pokemon to go away. So that's, that's my first ever memory. That thing runs on batteries, doesn't it? Double A's. Yep. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I, I, a tangent memory was, um, I think we were going to, we were going to Christmas mass or something at church. Uh, and, uh, I, I had just gotten my Squirtle evolved into a war turtle and I didn't know how to save. So I left the Game Boy in the backseat pocket of the car and was so happy that when I came back to it, it was still on because I was thinking the entire time it's going to turn off because I'm going to run out of battery and it didn't. So I don't know what these happened after have, that. But. Yeah. These things have some power. The Game Boy. The Game Boy Color especially, I think was pretty power efficient. The original, not so much because I had the chunky original Game Boy. Yeah. I never had a Game Boy Color, actually, but uh, I do remember, I think probably 80% of my particularly nostalgic video game memories are Christmas-related. I have a lot of fun memories revolving around Christmas. I must ask now, so you have some good Christmas memories, but I, I think people want to know, what is your first conscious memory having to do well, with video I games? I just realized that I am actually a bit older than you, I fear. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> ah, it's a little bit painful because if I think back, I can't quite say which one was the very first, but I am quite confident that I remember in my very early childhood room sitting on the bed and playing Super Hang-On on the Sega Mega Drive. Mm. This was a game, I think it came out in the late 1980s, I want to say. And I must have been, I don't know, I was less than six years old. I was maybe four, maybe five years old or something. And I played that Sega Mega Drive game where you're just on a, you're on a motorcycle and you're just going down a road and you have to evade people. That game is actually also part of the, it's, it's always in the arcades and the Yakuza games. You can play right. it there. And I remember that there were also arcades around where you would have this plastic motorcycle that you would sit on and control it like that, you know? Yeah, right. And I, I played it a lot in my childhood. There were so many games on the Sega Mega Drive that I played passionately before I even had an SNES or uh, a, um, a Game Boy. Isn't it kind of, uh, I, I don't know if you if you share this feeling, but you almost don't think of it as a, because you're, you're so young, you don't think of it as a video game. Similar to how you don't think of a, uh, maybe your favorite movie as a kid, you don't think of it as a, quote, movie. You think of it as its own entity that you're engaging with, this very special thing. And I remember feeling that way about a lot of games. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I did that as well. And of course, I didn't have an understanding about how video games work and how the industry works and how video game culture works. I was just a tiny little brat and wanted to play video games all day. <laughs> really, that's how I was. And I was such a brat that I I remember because we, we've been starting off this conversation with Christmas. I remember that I had a big wish for Christmas once when I was maybe also like, I don't know, six or seven years old, I think. Mm. I was wishing for The Lion King on the SNES. Oh. The Lion We're, King, which it later turned out to be quite a tough game. That game I was, was going to say. Challenging. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I loved it. And the thing was, I remember that on Christmas, 
I actually got that game on the 24th because in Germany, you know, it's like tw the evening of the 24th is where you open your presents. It's not on the oh, okay. 25th in the morning. Yeah. And the thing about opening presents in the evening is amazing because it just brings so much tension to that evening that then is released once you can finally open those presents and you realize it's exactly the game that you were wishing for. <laughs> But then it comes with the trouble of you having to go to bed. Uh, I didn't yes. want to. I didn't want to. I went to bed and I was laying in bed and I was so nervous because I knew that down in the living room there was this SNES console with the Lion King. And I snuck downstairs in my PJs, sitting down with like very <laughs> low lights only. But apparently the sound of the game was a little bit too loud. I woke up my uncle who suddenly showed up behind me. Oh. Said, What are you doing here? Go off to bed. It's like four in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, ah, I just quickly turned it off and ran for it. Oh, that's that's so cute though. Did you do the um uh did you do the blanket over the over the screen to try to <laughs> make sure that light didn't get out and bother anybody? No, I don't think that was I don't think that was necessary because the living room was quite separate from the bedroom. Gotcha. But we had you family you members safe. staying over. I felt I was safe, but I should have been smarter. I should have used headphones. Mm, <laughs> that was my mistake. That was my mistake. And the music well, is so good in that game. You know, it's like, imagine you're like a parent. <laughs> and then in the middle of the night, you gave your, you gave your child the Lion King. In the middle yeah. of the night, you wake up like... Jesus, <laughs> <laughs> it's like four in the morning. What is that child doing? Haunted by 16-bit Disney music. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was great, though. That was really great. Uh, there's so many Christmas-related things. There's something so uh, precious about that because I think um, maybe your family was similar in this way, but the Christmas Day was the the one day where um, it was sort of allowed that you could play the game all day for yeah. my for my family because usually you know there would be some restrictions maybe an hour in the evening or something like that after schoolwork is done but you know christmas day is special you play with your toys on christmas day and the toy was pokemon yeah the toy was pokemon the toy was the lion king the yeah. toy was actually in the case of almost all christmases that i can remember as a child it was almost always video game related mm. i remember for example that one christmas i said i I'm not going to wish for anything else. Just give me video games, and uh, <laughs> I think that was on the that was on the first on the first PlayStation, and I got three video games. I got like I think uh, Tomb Raider four, uh, Driver two, and one more video game, Mission Impossible. Yes, Mission Impossible. Ah, yes, and it's like it's always like that you know what my parents they always used to do something they always used to pretend like they weren't able to get what i was for they were always like ah oh, we can't find a playstation 2 i'm so sorry we tried our very best uh, but so just that you don't expect it so that you're not disappointed um we couldn't get one we got you something else we got you something else so don't <laughs> be sad and then i'm like I see this box and then you open it and say, it's a place. <laughs> you know, you're like, <laughs> it's oh the, man. The best feeling in the world when you see that console. You know, I, I, I have a lot of Christmas memories too. And I was, I was much the same where our family would do, um, you know, you would have maybe one big present you would ask for. And it, it just so happens that the one big present was often a console or something like that. And, um, I remember my, uh, my grandfather once he bought me, I can't remember what, what game it was. It was a Game Boy game though. And he bought it for me. And, and when I opened it, he was so surprised that it was so small. And he just said, I spent yeah. $60 on that. <laughs> <laughs> that piece of plastic trash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But it was, uh, such a precious thing. Cause, um, this is another thing that happened to to us, my brothers and I all the time is that, um, anytime we would ask for a console back in the days of memory cards, we would be very clear. We need a memory card so that we can save games. And every time without fail, we would get the console, which we were very happy for, but we would not get a memory card. And so it would be a month and a half of either leaving the console on or starting the games all over again. 
Oh, I know the pain. <laughs> I know the pain. It's I think it was on the with the PlayStation 2 when I got that, which is uh, by the way, it's an amazing thing, a very dedicated thing to, to give to your child. Like a console is expensive. It's like yes. how, how spoiled I actually was as a child. I only realized it in hindsight. And uh, I think that at the time, though, my I think my parents got me a PlayStation 2, but they were not aware that you needed to get, like, games for it. And sure. so I had, the, I had the console and I had only the demo disc uh, of the, like, it was just like, you know, some kind of Tekken 3 or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> And right. I, I played that demo like for an eternity. Oh, at least it felt to me like an eternity. Before I could actually get my first game, I played the demos over and over and over again. That was uh, my only interaction with the game Medieval was a demo yeah. disc that I had to play because I had nothing else. But I loved every second of it. Yeah, you, you learn the demo by heart. I mean, what you what you're gonna do <laughs> when you when I was when I was a child? The rule was always that I get a new video game. If I was a good child, by the way, if I was behaving, and <laughs> if I had finished the the one that I got before, like I I couldn't say just like two weeks later I want a new video game, but uh, it was the first question that would come is, but have you finished Ocarina of Time already? And I'm like, no. Then go back and play that. Okay. <laughs> I now I have to ask because you've you've mentioned this before um, when we've talked about uh, trophies and completing games and things like that. I I wonder, did your parents? At some point, if you asked for a new game, would they go into the living room with you and say, show me the credits. I need to see the end of this game. <laughs> no, they didn't. I don't think they ever really checked on it, but I was always honest about it. Although I think that there was there were such incidents like, you know, back back in the day, there wouldn't be no such thing, no meta game such as trophy tracking. But I remember Super Mario 6. Four, which, by the way, was absolutely insane. When I, when I wanted that game so bad, and we didn't have an N64, that I used to go to a store in the down the street every single day, every single afternoon, because they had one. And obviously, you couldn't save there. It was just like uh, on display in the shop. And I would yeah. go there every day, and I would play Super Mario 6. Always like the first three levels or something. Um, yeah. But there it was actually the case that you could collect stars in every world. You, you would basically jump through a painting and then you collect stars in every world. And there, I think the kind of rule of thumb was only if you've collected all the stars, then you can, you can get a new game. <laughs> well, that's, I love that they did that. I think, um, my, I think my parents had this idea that uh, the game that they got was it. Like that, what do you mean? That's the game, you know? Um, they, I don't think they, <laughs> yeah. they quite con that like more were coming. So it was mm. always, a um, if I didn't want to spend my own money and I wanted to get some help on it or something, I had to convince them. And I, I feel like I, uh, I did a lot of, um, elevator pitches for stories yeah. where I would say, no mom, you know, the, okay, he's a, he's a marsupial. He's a thing called a bandicoot and he's, he's collecting these fruit and crystals and stuff. And, you know, I'd have to explain the game to kind of get my mom's buy-in to it <laughs> so that she mm. get on board with it. I remember doing that a lot in video rental stores because oh, sure. for me, it was always like a highlight. We had, it was almost like a ritual that not every weekend, but every other weekend, maybe, um, my mother, she would like, my parents, they love films. And so they mm. would, you know, drive over to the next town where there was a big video rental store. And they obviously had a huge video game department. And I was able to, I was allowed to choose one video game that I would then play this weekend. So really my weekends and the, the games that I played were really determined by which game I chose uh, that afternoon. And I remember always like going along these lines and I would look at the games and I would turn around the boxes and read what's on them. And of some of these games I had heard, of others I had not. But then I always had to convince my parents, especially if it was above my age rating, that, you know, like, no, I mean, uh, Grand Theft Auto, no, it's not that bad. It's like you don't really shoot people. <laughs> You're most like driving around, you know. It's, it's sightseeing. My mother always, <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's all just, you know, it's just funny and so on. And it's like, and my friend at school also has it. And his that, parents have allowed help. it. Yeah. Classic argument. That would uh, that would often backfire on me, though, because uh, um, 
my parents would say things like, okay, well, yeah, maybe Alex's parents are allowing him to play this kind of thing, but you are not Alex and we are not his parents. <laughs> yes. It's, you know, it's interesting that parents all over the world, because we are from very different parts of the world, use yeah. exactly the same reasoning. <laughs> <laughs> Just like children use exactly the same reasoning. That's, that's right. very, that's, that's kind of cute, I must say. And I don't know how I would be if I was a parent, if my child was like, uh, you know, eight years old, asking me to get a GTA eight by then probably or probably will be gta 6 <laughs> yes yeah, when that will come out let's be conservative yeah <laughs> uh, yeah and, and then it's like yeah it's 18 and i'm like i i know exactly what grand theft auto is yeah know? oh i i think that um maybe you had a similar experience because i think that my my parents kind of grew to understand video games more as i continued to play them to the point where you know, I think that my, 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 maybe my dad especially had a hard time kind of understanding why I would be glued to a Game Boy or sitting in front of a TV and this game. And I think it, it took him a while to kind of understand that, oh, this is really not so different from when I watch, you know, a couple of movies back to back. It's engaging with stories. It's a hobby. It's something that, you know, it's, it's more than just playing with Legos. It's, it's engaging with narrative in this way. And I think once my parents kind of saw the merit in that, it was a lot easier to convince them of certain things. Did your parents not play themselves at all? Oh, no, no, I don't think. Not, not unless uh, there are some secrets they're going to reveal to me when I would go to bed that they would stay up playing Legend of Dragoon all night. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, Mama, I've defeated the boss already. It's like, I have to two weeks yeah. ago <laughs> get on my level kid <laughs> yeah get good get good <laughs> but no that was that was actually the case for me because one of the fondest memories i have and also very formative memories that when we played um super mario world on the snes mm. uh, i was still a kid and it was it was kind of almost like a family venture that we would sit together in the living room. And it was, I would say, primarily my mother and me. It's, yeah. it is, And that is still the case. Like, my mother still loves to play video games. Last year, I brought my Switch over for Christmas, and she literally nonstop played on the Switch. Uh, various different so games. We, we played we played Super Mario to, uh, Super Mario Party together, and whenever we were not in a Super Mario Party session, she would play other games like retro games on the Switch emulators from that she remembered from her past. So she's really into video games as well, and we used to have this kind of. Uh, it was like a little bit of competition because it was about mm. who would beat Bowser first. It was actually my mother. And also cooperation, because you could play this game with two people and it would always mean, I remember, you know, it's like a difficult level and then one butts their head against this difficult level and the other character goes all the way back to the beginning to collect lives yeah, and uh, give it over to the other person. And we always <laughs> like switched roles. That was just one of the experiences in my life where I realized how games can bring people together, how it means forming connections, not only to the story and the characters of the games, yes, but also to other people. And that was really precious. That's, that's really beautiful. I love that. Um, I love that she was, she's so invested. I think that my, uh, the closest thing is that, um, I have two younger brothers. Uh, one of them is four years younger than I am. And the other is eight years younger. So, uh, oh, uh, it's yeah, quite a span, yeah. Mm. It is. And and um my brother who's 8 years younger than I am, Matt, uh he and I um he loves 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 um The Legend of Zelda and always has since he was young and I think that that was a a really important thing for us to connect on when now I mean, you know, I'm we're we're both much older so the the age gap doesn't feel as huge, but when I'm 16 and he's 8, that's a big yeah. gap. And mm. it was always nice that we could share time playing Ocarina of Time or Twilight Princess and talk about them. And we still do to this day. And I think that that is a, it's a, it's kind of a great equalizer depending on the age gap between people is everybody enjoys the story the same. I think so. And it is a bonding a way of bonding also for siblings, because I remember I played a lot of games 
together with my sister, my younger sister. She's two years younger than me. So actually she's now 31. Mm. <laughs> so she's still, uh, she's still a bit older than you, I think. But uh, the thing is that I remember when Kingdom Hearts, we played Kingdom Hearts together, the first mm. Kingdom Hearts game. And I remember that we were so excited for when Kingdom Hearts 2 would come out that when it came out, we got it for, I think, the PlayStation 2, if I recall correctly. And my sister played that game in one weekend. She did not do anything else. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was like a long weekend, like three days. She yeah. didn't do anything else. I, I can't recall uh, her even leaving, leaving her seat. You know, it was just through the entire weekend, she powered through that game and was so in love with it. And you know what? She still is. Because yeah. just recently she told me like, Stefan, I got a PlayStation 5. <laughs> and I'm like, congratulations. <laughs> that's really amazing. So for me, it's just interesting that uh, video games have always been a part of my life, early childhood on, and also of yeah. my, you know, family. And we would talk about video games. And my mother still would come to me even nowadays and would say like, I want to play like a new cool game on my tablet. And do you have something <laughs> that you can recommend and so on? Yeah, I guess that it's very, it's much a world of its own because I know that other families and other people are not like that at all. And yeah. I don't know. For me, it's just a very interesting realization to have. I I think it's it's uh, it's special in a way that um, sharing a love of film or books is different. And I think the obvious answer is just because you can both engage with it um, in a way that's so different from other media. But I, uh, yeah, I have. I, I mean you could have seen this coming i'm sure but speaking of kingdom hearts i have many many yeah. great memories with with that game <laughs> yes. and um it's always been uh a very formative game it, uh, it maybe this is something we can talk about because it's such a long running series it's been formative for me in different stages of my life so mm. when the first one came out i was such a huge final fantasy fan that i thought oh what is the you know mickey mouse and final fan this is lame and my younger brother didn't think that way and he loved it. And it was his love of it that got me into it. He was so excited about it that we shared that together. And then speaking of Kingdom Hearts 2, my, my mom knew how big a fan I was of it, of that series. She didn't know anything about it. She just knew that I wouldn't shut up about it, um, which she still knows today. And uh, <laughs> she... she um, took time out of her day. I remember she went to a, a game store and stood in line to get Kingdom Hearts 2 for me and uh, oh. and took me out of school for a day so that I could play it. And it was at a time oh, where... that is so sweet. Yeah, it was, it was very special. I think it was at a time where I was not doing so well. I felt very lonely. And she recognized that and said, you know, what might help is a session of this game. So it was a very special, very special thing. And I think games, no matter what, doesn't have to be Kingdom Hearts. It could be anything. Um, those connections are so special. Mums are amazing. They sure are. <laughs> they sure are. Yeah, they sure are. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Uh, and I've got a little bit of a, a memory that's kind of bittersweet, I must say. Because I mentioned before that I often would go to the video rental store to get games. And as I grew a little bit older, I we would get games and we would... I don't know whether I'm confessing to a crime here. I think I'm doing that, but it's probably... <laughs> it's the, probably stat- pers- the statute of limitations is over on this, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, 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 is, that is over long since. But of course, we would get like, you know, PC games, you know, when I was like 12, 14, maybe 16 years old in that kind of time frame. And we would instantly rip them. Of course. <laughs> and we would return them the same day. We'd <laughs> be like, thank you very much. <laughs> that kind uh, those of, were still the days. That kind of magical time where maybe the clerk knew what you were doing, but maybe they didn't. <laughs> yeah, maybe yeah. maybe they didn't care because it's like, okay, it's just, you know, you got to give me your two euro or two, like, German mark. That was, it was that at the time. Uh, you you got to give me that anyway. Don't care yeah. what you do with the game. Although one time they did care because we actually, I think we lent Operation Flashpoint, uh, the, like a military strategy game, a pretty like much military simulation. We really loved that game and we wanted to play it with, I think, the three people. It was like my cousin and a friend of us. And we got that game from the video rental store and we wanted to take it out of the package and we broke the disc in half. Oh no. <laughs> While doing that. <laughs> oh, that was that was hardcore. And then we had to go to that rental store and we have to be like, we are so sorry. We just, you know, <laughs> big yeah. time broke that game. Yeah, well, we had to pay for the entire thing. And in exchange for paying the full price for that game, we got the empty package. <laughs> oh well. All right. As a reminder. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of a bittersweet memory because, if I may say so, I know it's a very, it's a tough subject uh, to address. But just as I've been thinking about, you know, my my childhood gaming memories, I thought of this moment and I thought that um, what, the friend that I spoke of, the friend that mm. I, I'm not sure whether he was the one who actually broke the disc or whether it was my cousin, but we were at my friend's place. He actually is uh, not alive anymore. He uh, He took oh. his life. And um, that's why it's a very bittersweet memory because I just realized while thinking back to it uh, what a kind of time that was yeah, and what a kind of person uh, he was. And I just thought, you know, I just mentioned that a little bit on the side as a shout out to someone who's no longer uh, with us anymore. Sorry to hear about that. I, I know exactly the kind of memory that you're talking about where... It, you almost in the in the moment you almost think to yourself i will remember this and i think uh when you look back on it when people are no longer with us or maybe you've gone your separate ways for one reason or another it is a little hard to think back on that time yeah yeah at the same time it is also precious and i'm very grateful to have those memories and to yeah. have made these experiences um because that's really what what remains after all and um, yeah, that's why I'm I'm very happy that we accidentally broke that Operation Flashpoint disc. <laughs> and I'm happy to report that I think 
uh, that same day or the, or the next day, we still got a copy of the game in some other way. I don't remember exactly how, but it was the time where you where kind of people would just have ripped files of games on their hard drive and would just yeah. say like, I'm just, you know, sending it over to you or, you know, burn it on a disc and then give it to you. So yeah, we still managed to have our Operation Flashpoint multiplayer session. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, I, I have, uh, I mentioned, um, Legend of Dragoon earlier, which is a, I feel, a, unfortunately, mostly forgotten JRPG that came out in around 2000, 2001. Yeah. Um, it was kind of eclipsed by Final Fantasy VII and VIII around that time, I think. But it's so, it's it's such a special game to me. And I think that a, a big reason is because the first time I got it was I rented it with a friend of mine who um, unfortunately is you know, we've, we've grown very much apart, um, just different kinds of lives. I mean, they, it's like you do with any 12 year old friend, I suppose. But I, I think about, um, he had a, uh, a TV in his living room and then a smaller TV and we would play a game on the small TV and watch television shows on the big TV. And oh. I remember, uh, loving this game so much that I actually said, can we, let's shut that off and switch so that we can play this on the big TV and uh, that game still holds a lot of great memories for me. It's one, it's one that I wish would speaking of remasters and remakes of, you know, any, any kind, if that game were to get one, I think it would, it would do gangbusters, but it's just for that, me. It is a single player game, isn't it? Yes. It's uh, really um, a, a, <laughs> a kind of JRPG that they don't make anymore. I think. Mm. It, it, the interesting thing about the anecdote is I think that when I was a child, and I assume you have the same kind of experience, at least from what you say now, it was quite common to play through single-player games together. Oh, yes. Yeah. I. Uh, that's something that... Um, uh, I mean, it may just be rose-tinted glasses looking back on, on games like that kind of nostalgically, but... Um, I, I actually had a theory when I was maybe 13, 14, which was you could not defeat the final boss if you were alone. You, oh. had, you had to have a friend who was there to help. And you, you'd do it a couple times. And I think it must have just been that I only beat uh, you know Ansem in Kingdom Hearts when my friend was there or Sin in Final Fantasy X when my friend was there. So I had in my head that I can't do it if... My friend isn't here. But that is so cool because it kind of perfectly syncs up with the whole theme of Kingdom Hearts and many other mm. video games as well. The importance of friendship. Yes. And working together. It was, yeah, I, I used to think that all the time when I would get to the final boss, I'd say, I got to call up Alex and have him come over because I can't do this. <laughs> <laughs> and that is so cool, man. I, I wonder we don't do this anymore really right i mean we of course multiplayer gaming is as big it's bigger than it has ever been before but uh, just sitting together and playing a single player game mm. maybe cycling through the controller a bit or someone is just you know watching and calling out enemies or whatever you know and just enjoying that as well because i, yeah. I personally always enjoyed watching someone play as almost as much as i enjoyed playing it um so i think I think that's kind of something I would love to do again one day. Yeah. Just playing a game, a single player game together. It is it is a lot of fun, I think, um, because there's nothing quite like uh, commentating on a game when you're playing it yeah. with somebody. And uh, you do kind of lose that when it's online multiplayer only. Exactly. It's a whole different experience. And maybe that's also... At least a last thing that I would briefly like to mention. Yeah. Um, of course, LAN parties were a thing. Oh, yes. They were a thing. They were a highlight, a highlight of the month. They were such a thing that we, the very first time when we tried to do a LAN party, we're just two people. It was mm. me and the same cousin who broke that Operation Flashpoint disc. <laughs> the very same person. <laughs> um, and we we had set uh, set up a small space in my like on my desk in in my uh, ch childhood's room at my children's room, and we would place our computers next to one another and try to connect them. We'd never done it before, and yeah. we had even 
we had network cards that we hadn't even implemented in the computer yet. So we still had to open them up. It was like a whole <laughs> process. It took us the entire afternoon up until late in the evening when we finally managed after much, you know, like fumbling with the settings. And then you had to like set an IP address and all of these things because it, it doesn't just work just like that. You need to do a whole lot of configuration and no just simple internet access where you can look things up, but you need to figure it out on your own. Right. And I remember then we jumped into Half-Life, Half-Life Deathmatch. And the first time we actually saw each other, each other's characters, we were in such awe. Nobody fired a shot. We were just <laughs> standing there being like, wait, is that you? <laughs> yeah. It's like, I think so. Well, can you jump? Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> just so happy that it worked. Yeah. yeah. We didn't uh, fight each other. But it was, it, it was, that was just an amazing experience. It was a sense of, you know, kind of a, an experience of presence to be co-present together, the two of us in this world of this game that was just completely transcendental, I would say. I, I think that we, we definitely take it for granted now because it's so easy to, to play online with people. We don't even think about mm. it, but, um, I mean, yeah, what you just described, I think uh, we've all, we or a lot of us who are old enough, I guess, have the experience of, all right, you're going to be over for the weekend. Saturday will be us trying to figure out how the computers work. And Sunday will be us playing the game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or, or more, for us, it was more like we meet on Friday. Mm. Uh, we, we set up the computers. Then it, this was a little bit later, you know, being like 15, 16, 17. Yeah. Then we get completely hammered. <laughs> then we have like a house party when just some people would just like be a little bit wasted in the corner and just play some Counter-Strike on the yes. side. Yes. Uh, uh, and then at three in the morning when you can't sleep, then you would sit down and play like an extensive session of Age of Empires until the sun oh. goes up. That yes. was that was like our experience of a LAN party. <laughs> you've just you've just unlocked a memory in me which was very similar, except it was a game where I, I can't remember what it was, but it was just a game where you could you could drive in like a monster truck and explore a rendering of the earth. And I, I just playing that together, trying to find each other in it. And I don't even know if it was possible, but just this memory of wasting, you know, I say wasting, spending maybe six hours of just driving around and having a fun time sitting next to each other in the same room. Ah, oh, that's cool. That yeah. sounds like a very chill experience. And it also reminds me of the fact of having a challenge that you're not sure whether you can actually overcome it is something that happened mm -hmm. a lot to me when I was a child, but also during these, you know, I remember during those LAN party sessions when we actually managed to play Operation Flashpoint together. I don't know whether anyone else has ever played the Operation Flashpoint multiplayer, but we really loved it for some reason. Yeah. Even though we we couldn't get past the first mission. I don't know whether there are even any other missions than the first one. <laughs> because it was just so hard. It was so difficult. And we like really tried hard to get into the mindset of that military simulation. We would be like, one would be the commander and would assign commands and would be yeah. super strategic. And we still always got killed. And it just had this, games often to me had this kind of vibe that you were not sure whether they can even be def beaten, whether you can even get through and what's behind that that you know heavily guarded door it's almost like the sense of mystery yeah that games do not really have to me at the moment anymore because i just see through the mechanics pretty well but that was just uh an impressive and very important experience i think i i agree and i think that um it's it's so it's so fun to think back on these times because if you engage with a game nowadays very few games have um, have excited me in the same way that a game may have when I was maybe between eight and 13. And a great example of it is, um, since I was such a big JRPG fan, um, I didn't realize that sometimes there are bosses you have to lose to. Uh. And so that, that feeling of I, how am I ever going to get past this only to have it the rug pulled out from under me of, oh no, you're not supposed to. But then every now and again, there would be a game where 
you're not supposed to, but you can if you do it just right. And uh, the game will kind of chide you for <laughs> for beating it in, in that sense. I think that I've only ever had that experience in my modern gaming um, in uh, playing Dragon Quest XI. It's the only game where I thought 11-year-old Dan would have absolutely lost his mind playing this game <laughs> for all of the cool yeah, things that it is, does. That is so cute because at such an early age, one would not see through the scheme that the video game is pulling. And mm -mm. you just think, oh, no, he's defeating me. Oh, no. And then yeah. it's suddenly like, da, 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 and it was all, it was like a dream or it was just like the setup of the story. And then it really starts and the, the title of the game appears. And nowadays when that happens, you're just like, oh, it's that again. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going right, to, when... come on, just take my abilities away from me. I'm going to earn them back in a moment. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's the, it's the, um, the Mega Man X syndrome. Right, where when you play Mega Man X for the first time and Zero comes in to save you, it's incredible. And you think, I'll maybe I'll be like him if I keep playing the game. Um, but as an adult, obviously you would see that and say, I see, that is the goal. I must become like Zero. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and you just mentioned that you've always been a great JRPG fan. And the interesting thing is I think I was a great G JRPG fan all my life as well, without mm. knowing it. Oh I yeah. Played a lot of Japanese role-playing games. I was in love with the Final Fantasy series. I never really realized that I was playing primarily Japanese games. Um, I actually have, like, Final Fantasy is super important in my biography because at the time, when I had a tough time in school and I was going through, you know, like a phase of uh, being bullied and being rather mm -hmm. excluded and so on, Final Fantasy VIII, IX, and X, those were the three games that gave me quite a lot of strength. Ten was then more at the end of this kind of phase, but especially encountering Squall Leonard in Final Fantasy VIII, this yeah. kind of shy, introverted dude who resents everyone and has to learn to open up and form relationship and uh, relationships and accept other people for who they are. That was such a valuable lesson and so formative for my own character, I think. Did you find playing those games that... Um you would be so invested in the people in it that you really did feel as if you were going to kind of like have a meeting with your friends. Certain, yeah, certain very much so. Yeah. Very much so. I was, when the characters in Final Fantasy VIII were on a train discussing the next mission, I was in there with them. Yeah. Uh, and I tried a lot to also cre evoke that feeling because I would often be, you know, I would be down after school and so on and I would just like, you know, pull down my... Um, pull down the blinds in front of the windows and just, you know, shut myself in a little bit. And then I would just experience these kinds of stories and uh, empathize with the characters and find a kind of understanding in the game that I felt like I could not get outside of the game. So it was very much escapism, but at the same time, not just that, because it was not just escaping. It was also a sense of confronting the yes. rejection and dealing with the rejection that I have faced during my daily school routine. I I think we had very similar moments like that, Stefan, because mm. I uh um Final Fantasy X was was very important to me. And I think that there's a there's it's now an infamous scene where um the main character Titus and Yuna are overlooking a city and Titus, uh, Yuna says, oh, I, I want my journey to be full of laughter. And Titus kind of makes himself laugh and he's go, ha, 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 like that. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's played up as a, like people, I think, misunderstand that scene because it's played up as a big meme nowadays that, oh, voice acting was so silly back then. And I always, I, I take umbrage to that because that to me was such a specific moment where I confronted, as you said, something about myself, which was sometimes you have to put on a brave face and make light of something. And it's as easy as smiling or laughing and making other people around you uncomfortable, you know? And I, I think <laughs> yes. that that's kind of the, the beautiful thing that you say. It's not, it's not escapism. It is 
a way of kind of kind of dealing with what you may have been dealing with at the time. Ah. <laughs> Man, that was a game. I love that. That was so beautiful. Yeah. Shall we wrap it up for today? Because I think we could like talk forever about our childhood gaming memories. Yeah. But of course, dear listeners, we also want to hear yours. So if you are willing to share some of your childhood gaming memories and maybe what they mean to you when you think back nowadays, then you can do that. You can obviously comment on studyingpixels.com under this very show. You can find us on Reddit where you can write a longer post or you can tweet out to us or write us a message or a comment on Instagram. And of course, if you want to, you know, send us an email for, uh, like uh, that is not directly published publicly or that we might be able to refer to in a later episode, then feel free to submit your thoughts to podcast at studyingpixels.com. Don't forget that you can support us by getting Studying Pixels Plus. You can find all the information on studyingpixels.com slash plus. Yeah, we're looking forward to talk again, then probably more up-to-date and more in the present uh, than we did this week. See you then. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.